Little Leaders, Visionary Women Around the World by Vashti Harrison. Frida Kahlo, 1907-1954, painter from Mexico. Tragedy struck Frida throughout her life, but she channelled her pain into art. As a child, Frida contracted polio and one of her legs became withered. She walked with a limp for the rest of her life. But she disguised her disfigurement with beautiful long skirts associated with the traditional Tijuana clothing. At 18, she was in a bus accident and endured a long recovery process. One thing she could do while bedridden? Paint. Her mother built an easel that hung above her hospital bed and, with nothing else to look at, Frida painted herself. Her self-portraits were a mix of the exuberant, sad, colourful and dark. She painted not only what she saw, but also what she felt, often using symbols to represent those feelings. Nails could mean pain, a captured deer, vulnerability. Because of this, Frida is often associated with artists of the Surrealism movement, such as Salvador Dali who painted dreamlike worlds. But Frida never considered herself a surrealist because she didn't paint dreams. She simply reflected all the realities she experienced and felt. As she healed, Frida joined Mexico's artistic and political circles and met the famous muralist Diego Rivera. In 1929, they married and together they travelled the world. Many of Frida's paintings were self-portraits. Her trademark impassive gaze drew viewers in and begged them to face tragedy and sadness as well as beauty. But her work wasn't always about herself. She had a revolutionary spirit and often incorporated her social and political opinions into her pieces. To communicate her strong passion for indigenous Mexicans, she embedded Aztec symbols into her paintings. Her distinctive wardrobe, too, reflected her identity. She chose the Tuana style of dress, not only for the long skirts, but also because it represents female power. Frida showed Mexico as vibrant and beautiful, and she celebrated its heritage and captured the fears and struggles of its people. Gio Fujikawa, 1908-1998 Illustrator 
from the United States of America. As a child, Gio could be found sketching flowers in her backyard in Berkeley, California, instead of playing with dolls or toys. Her creativity was evident early on, but her parents worried about their daughter's future if she chose a career in art. For Japanese immigrants in the early 20th century, it was hard to succeed. But Gyo persevered and earned a scholarship at the Chouinard Art Institute in Los Angeles. After graduation, Gyo spent a year in Japan, studying the traditional art of brush painting. Back in California, she returned to Chouinard as a teacher. She also worked part-time for Walt Disney Productions, designing brochures and posters for its films, an impressive accomplishment in a company with few women or people of colour. This job took her to New York City in 1941. That same year, after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbour, the US entered the Second World War. Soon, Japanese Americans on the West Coast were forced to relocation camps. Gyo was fortunate to be in New York, so she avoided internment. Her family was not so lucky. Despite the war, Gyo worked diligently. Eventually, she left Disney and began illustrating magazine covers. This got her noticed by a book publisher and she was hired to illustrate a new edition of Robert Louis Stevenson's A Child's Garden of Verses. In 1963, she published a book called Babies, which she wrote and illustrated herself, and soon followed that with Baby Animals. Both books were wildly successful and are still in print today. She eventually published more than 40 books for children. Although she never had kids of her own, Gio took special care in her work to consider what a child might enjoy. Her style is vibrant and elegant, with sweet, round-cheeked characters. But what made Gio's work historic was her choice to celebrate diversity and incorporate characters of many ethnicities into children's books. Catherine Dunham, 1909-2006 Choreographer, Anthropologist from the United States of America Despite her strict upbringing, Catherine was a creative and enterprising child. At the age of 12, she published a short story in W.E.B. Du Bois' monthly magazine, and at 14 she produced, directed and starred in a performance to raise money for her church. Dancing, though, was her true love, and she studied modern dance and ballet in her childhood. Everything changed for her after she attended a lecture on black culture at the University of Chicago. She learned that so much of black culture in America, the music, 
folklore, dances, had all begun somewhere in Africa. Catherine wanted to find out how the roots of African culture had spread around the world, so she began studying anthropology, focusing on dances of the African diaspora. Throughout her career, she found a way to balance studying dance, teaching it and actually performing it. In the early 1930s, she formed the Bali Negre, one of the first black ballet companies in the United States, and the Negro Dance Group, a school to teach young black dancers about their heritage. In 1935, she received a grant from the Rosenwald Fund and a prestigious Guggenheim Fellowship to conduct an ethnographic study of dance in the Caribbean. She travelled to Jamaica, Martinique and Trinidad, but only truly connected with the culture of Haiti. After Catherine returned to the United States, she founded the Dunham School of Dance and Theatre. The dancers toured and performed and taught movement to artists, dancers and actors. Her classes were extremely popular due to her unique methods. She combined traditional African and Caribbean movements with ballet and modern dance in an innovative way, soon canonised as the Dunham Technique. It is still taught in dance classes today, and she is referred to as the matriarch of black dance. Mary Blair, 1911-1978, modern painter and colourist from the United States of America. Mary began her career as a watercolourist. She studied naturalist painting at the Chouinard Art Institute in Los Angeles, where she met Lee Blair. They fell in love and married and soon their art styles were indistinguishable. The Great Depression was tough on their art careers, so Mary reluctantly followed Lee into the animation industry. Eventually, they both landed jobs at Walt Disney's animation studio. In 1941, President Roosevelt commissioned Walt Disney to participate in a trip to promote goodwill in South America on behalf of the United States. Walt gathered a group of artists to travel with him. Lee was accepted. Mary was not. So she went to Walt's office and successfully made her bid. On the trip, Mary's style exploded. Her watercolours couldn't capture the vibrancy she saw, so she switched to a gouache, a bright, chalky paint and began working in a bolder, more whimsical style. She simplified her forms in a sweet, almost childlike way. By the end of the trip, Walt considered Mary his favourite artist. After the Second World War, Disney hired Mary to do visual development on Cinderella in 1950, Alice in Wonderland, 1951, and Peter Pan. 1953. 
Her colour styling helped set the overall look of these iconic films. Mary eventually left the studio and illustrated children's books, worked as an art director and designed theatrical sets. In 1963, Walt needed help creating a children's pavilion at the 1964-65 New York World's Fair that celebrated children around the world. He knew just who to ask. Mary designed the now iconic It's a Small World ride. It was so popular, Walt had it replicated in his California theme park, Disneyland. Although it's a Disney fixture, the design is totally Mary and a lasting monument to her style. Soft-spoken and mild-natured, Mary probably never set out to become a legend. But to many in the fields of art, animation, illustration and design, she is legendary. Little Leaders Visionary Women Around the World by Vashti Harrison